1: Welcome to Thursday's edition of the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. I am your host, Tony Anderson, and today I am very fortunate to be joined by Mr. Gary Cocker.
0: Sarcasm doesn't suit you, Tony, but hello. All
1: right. I was being sarcastic, Gary. I'm always straight up. I love talking to you, Gary. I'm joined, actually, by <laughs> the two softest voices in Scottish football, Gary Cocker and, of course, Andrew Harrow. Hi, Andy. How are you? Hi
2: again. Uh, that sounded like sarcasm, but yeah, I'm, I'm all right. Don't <laughs> <it>? <laughs> I, I think they're on to me. Um, right, uh, we have a bit of a
1: mixed bag for you today, listeners. We in both topic and quality, no doubt. So uh, today, I've asked uh, the guys that are joined us to bring two subjects each. And they can be about anything for Scottish football related. And we're also going to be doing our next uh, entry into Scotland's 50 most memorable games, which will be very exciting. I'm quite chuffed talking about this one, to be honest, even though I don't quite understand what makes it so memorable. But Gary, I'm going to come yes. to you first for your first topic, because I think it's uh, it's the most topical of the day. Um, Scottish football, the government is just sort of funded us uh, to keep us alive and kicking what's your feelings about that Gary introduce treat us like idiots what what is going on here
0: well for one thing I just can't wait to see what some of the clubs absolutely waste this money on (laughs) Uh, no doubt um, you know hearts will sign some centre mid from Sheffield Wednesday or something but um, no this is a package it's not just for football it's for spectator sport more widely um, across Scotland uh, recognising that spectator sports don't have spectators at the moment so it's uh in total it's a 55 million pound package of that 55 million 30 million is coming to Scottish football and of that 30 million 20 million is specifically going to Premiership clubs um obviously I don't need to tell listeners of this podcast that they have perhaps been uh, some of the hardest hit by um, the the lack of spectators at games and the other 10 million is going to some people have described this as going to the lower leagues. That's not quite accurate. It's for all other levels of the game. So that also includes uh, women's football, it includes youth football, grassroots football, etc. etc. So that's one thing to point out is that 10 million could actually be spread quite thin. Um the other thing to point out is, and this is a point that as a Dundee fan I'm alright with, uh, is that the the 10 million that's going to basically everything that's Scottish football that isn't the top tier is in the form of a grant and 20 million seems to be in the form of loans. Um, so that's obviously another bone of, uh, bone of contention. Um, obviously this is coming at a time when Aberdeen in particular are pushing for uh, fans to return in some way shape or form to tawdry. Um but it doesn't look like that will happen. As we all know at the moment the, the government's line is that basically tier one parts of the country can have spectators attend. So that's why, for example, Ross County uh, and Inverness can have fans at their games, but uh, pick pretty much any other team uh, can't have fans at their games. Um, so it's it's a welcome cash boost, but I think it's, as ever, the, the devil will be in the detail of how it's actually distributed to clubs and what they actually end up spending on.
1: Uh, Andy, I was going to ask you, how fair do you think that is? Because, I mean, if we go into sort of spectators... How much money is in spectating and sort of like when we go to the complete non-leagues and the sort of junior level, do they, I don't know, I'm asking you, do they sort of rely <laughs> on this money quite as much as some of our professional clubs to function?
2: Yeah, the, the mistake you've made there, Tony, is thinking that I might have a, a, an answer for this. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but no, I mean, I think I think we've talked about it before, about how important... Uh, spectators are to Scottish football in comparison to some of the, the bigger leagues around Europe and I, I guess where the the, the fact that the, the Premiership are getting the vast bulk of the money is to do with obviously the, the fact that it's the Premiership clubs that uh, have been most impacted by there not being enough fans on the ground. Um, the it's hard to know how much it's, it's impacted teams. I mean, obviously, as uh, Gary said, Aberdeen, I've, I've mentioned about how much they've struggled. Dundee United have been in the, the news about how much they've struggled. Um, in fact, mo- most of the premiership clubs have, have uh, kind of very notably said that they've, they've struggled financially over this period of time. The, the lower league teams, um, obviously, there's a, there is an impact in terms of fans coming in. Um, the 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 one thing that they've had is that obviously a lot of their players have been part time and a lot of their staff are part time. So so for a lot of those clubs, they might be able to have, you know offset some of those uh, risks and some of those costs because there wasn't as much going out in the first place and not as much reliance on on needing fans to the door. I mean, it, it'll be interesting to see in terms of alone how that's all split out and how long. Uh, they're going to want the Scottish government are going to want the Scottish clubs to pay it back. Um, I'd imagine it will be over a long period of time, but it'll be quite interesting to see that. I mean, it is, it is good, I think, for the the teams below the top tier that it's it's in the form of a grant, so that there's no expectation that they'll need to pay that money back, and there's nothing kind of hanging over them. Um, but for some of the for some of the the Premiership clubs, I, I don't know that I, I don't know how much benefit alone will be in the, in the long term, you know, in the short term, it might plug a few holes. But if they're already a, a kind of fairly badly run organisation, or they're, they're leaking money left, right and centre, having to then pay a, a loan on top of it might cause a few problems. But again, it, it probably depends on how, they, how the repayments are, are uh, have to be I think, made.
1: I think you've touched on something pretty crucial there, is uh, sort of badly run clubs. And I think we have a few of those. Uh, in the Scottish Premiership, that you would maybe worry about. I'm sort of picturing sort of debt collectors standing outside certain grounds, constantly phoning, um, looking for looking for their money back in in the future as the Scottish government sort of sells this this bad debt all the way down uh, to sort of random call centers in the future. Mm. Um, what? Uh, let's push on to the. Sort of next one, even though, I mean, Craig Anderson I thought made a really good point. Well, not a good point. I think it was tongue in cheek, but it made me laugh. Uh, the fact that uh, stopping a business from trading and then uh, giving it loans with interest on top of it is just exactly what our organised crime syndicate would do. <laughs> uh, and I thought that was uh, pretty apt and quite hard to argue with, really. I mean, um, the,
0: the main thing is that he's taking uh, he's Killy's punishment from the SPFL really well. That's the main <laughs> thing to remember when it comes to Craig. He's, he's not worried. He's not annoyed about that in the slightest. He's <laughs> yeah, definitely going to get his own back for that.
1: <laughs> Gary, is, is, is that right in thinking? Is there interest on the loans that will be given to the Premiership clubs? I,
0: I've not seen any confirmation of that. I imagine if it is, it would be... Uh, if I can put it this way a student loan sale situation uh, rather than a credit card sale situation uh, where the where the interest payments are maybe tied in some way to inflation but not anything that would be you know it wouldn't be the case that say if a club got loaned um so it was 20 million among the top 12 clubs say if they did it on an even basis so that's just over 1 million they wouldn't end up paying say you know 3 or 4 million back that would be ludicrous um i think it would just be Uh, minimal interest but obviously this is uh, something that was only announced today so as I said earlier I think the devil's really going to be in the detail for it's a package that a lot of clubs have been screaming out for I think that it was discussed in the pod pretty recently that the uh, online streaming has obviously people are taking it up but I think it's, it's beginning to lose a little bit of its of its shine and as it loses the shine and as people who maybe at the start of the season were buying uh game passes begin to not do that and you're left basically with season ticket holders so you're basically left without that uh, the walk-up money that you would have uh, at normal times I think that's when you're going to see the the pinch really kick in so uh, it's it's probably come a decent time Um, but whether it's seen as actually enough once you spread it out is another question because obviously the the difference say in um, in heart. Heart, sorry, they're in the lower leagues, they'll be getting a grant. Um, the, the difference in, say, what Aberdeen or Hibs are missing out on might be different from, say, the difference in what Ackes or St Mirren are missing out on uh, at the moment. So we shall just have to wait and see.
1: Okay, Yeah, because I'd like to think, I think it would leave a bad taste in the mouth if the interest payment, uh, interest fees were of any sort high. Because, I mean, we don't want the Scottish government to be, sort of, or the taxpayer, if you like, whatever way you want to look at it, uh, to be actually making money off the back of this that isn't really in the spirit of it i would i would imagine so uh i imagine we'll be keeping a close eye on that but moving on to our next and again a very topical sort of one we're going to hear with andrew harrow and the news that david hopkin as frankly by this by the way it's reading is just pissed off and walked out on on morton
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's not the not the first one to do that, uh, yeah. So, so <laughs> it, it seems it seems like it's uh, been a wee bit of a surprise that it's happened, but it doesn't seem to have been regarded with any great disappointment by uh, by Morton fans. So, uh, yeah, Halkin, they finished seventh at the end of last season, and uh, they're in the same session in the the championship this season. They've not won since the uh, the end of October when they beat Air three two. They've uh, Drawing three included a couple of League Cup games and uh, lost a couple, in at the weekend they got hammered 2-0 by by Hearts. Uh, and I think they're about the first team that Hearts have, have properly hammered this season. So You there's, know there's uh, a Dundee fan sitting beside you there. Oh you? yeah, that's a fair part. I forgot about that. I it's okay, it didn't you. happen. <laughs> we don't talk about it, it didn't happen. <laughs> I, th- I think there's... Uh, so It's quite an interesting... Because he's not leaving, it depends obviously why he's left, I guess. And there's some suggestions that he's maybe going to rejoin Livingston with Martindale, although it's also been noted that Livingston don't appear to be in any great rush because Martindale's doing a, a fine job uh, on his own. And I mean, as you know, as we all know, he's basically been running the club for the past few years anyway. But the uh, if he's not going to Livingston, it's-, it's interesting as to why it's happened because he. Don't imagine he's going to get much of a better job unless it's Livingston, uh, because he's not done anything particularly special at Morton, uh, and his, his reputation that he did get when he was at Livy that the kind of shine's been taken off of that. So, is he left because he's had? Um, there's been some issues with the board, or does he think that there is another better job for him, or he just had enough um, for Morton? Yeah, I was having a look through pipe Bovron. Their fans are not are not particularly disappointed with it i think the the players they've brought in have uh, not been great i think i think the kind of Morton have been functional this season um but there's there's been nothing really to suggest that they were going to do any more than at best jo- bob around the, the middle of the table um and it, i suppose for for Morton now the question is how, who do they bring in do they just do they just appoint uh, somebody to, to take them over for the second half of the season, or yeah, I guess it's slightly more in the second half of the season? Or um, do they do a proper kind of search and, and look a wee bit outside the box for somebody? So it been interesting to see w- what they do uh, and who they bring in. Uh, and it leaves them in a, a wee bit of a state of flux. Um, I think the the concern for them is that they make a, uh, another bad move and they slip down the table because they're not they're not a particularly strong squad and um yeah they've they've not been in a great run of form as it is
1: um what do you I mean you, you touched on it earlier um this isn't the first time uh, I'm sure I saw on Twitter this is the third time this has sort of happened so do you think that alludes to there being sort of real sort of continuous issues behind the scenes where managers don't seem to be able to sort of get on with with the board in place there?
2: Yeah, well, the, the, I think they've. Uh, I was reading that this is the seventeenth manager that they've had since the start of two thousand, uh, or or maybe Holcomb was the sixteenth, and they're they're moving on to the seventeenth manager. So, I mean, that's that feels like quite a high turnaround to to basically be all, all, one a year, almost just a wee bit more than that. Um, so it does it does kind of suggest that the the board. Uh, maybe meddling things or maybe uh, make the wrong appointments, I think, probably quite a lot of the time as well. Um, and I think, um, yeah, the, I, I think that's going to be a problem. There's, there seems to be kind of boardroom changes happening there as well. So whether that's a any impact on it, mm-hmm. uh, on Hawking leaving, I don't know. But, uh, but yeah, the, the, it's not, they don't seem like a, a, ever a particularly stable club, Morton, because of the fact that they go through so many managers.
0: Yeah, cause obviously the Andy's already alluded to it, but the the big thing that's going to happen at Morton soon is the the fan takeover, which is scheduled for the end of the season. Um, and I think that that's, I think when I spoke about Morton a few weeks ago, I said that Morton fans they just want to get to the end of the season. Uh, and I think this is, this is just a it's a pretty horrific season for most clubs, but for them in particular, all they want to do is survive, and I don't think this, Hopkin leaving was on the basis of any fear of that necessarily but i think it is maybe just that personality clash somewhere uh within the club Um, but this this obviously won't help because the the next question is who do you bring in you know who's uh who's out of work that that might be looking for a job uh, to come in and whoever does come in would have some job because that squad as we talked about a few weeks ago is really really unbalanced and you're trying to fit a lot of square pegs into round holes so good luck to whoever comes in
1: we Going to get the, the usual names, lads. Um, the sort of the sports sound massive is that who we're, we're expected to be, be be put in there?
0: Okay, oh, every time it's the same. I, I, I don't know if McBookie would necessarily do a list for this one, but if they were going to, you'd be seeing you know Alan Stubbs, John Hughes, Neil McCann, Jim McIntyre going on it, I'm sure.
1: Uh, right, I'm going to move on and go to my one. Uh, this is more sort of musings, uh, if you like, and maybe a slight bit of analysis, sort of, on Jack Ross <clears throat> in in this season because um, I think there's been some sort of criticism of Jack Ross, I think, in Hibs circles. Obviously, Hibbs hit a bit of bad form, if you like, or mixed form, I think would probably be a better way of putting it before uh, the weekend's 3-0 win at Fir Park. And I was just sort of thinking, I was talking to uh, Chris, who is sort of been a, sort of contributed on here and it might be involved in some of our future stuff and he was talking about the the, the, the sort of cautious nature uh, of, of Jack Ross and I thought it was quite interesting when we started talking about it. He he sort of noticed that he thinks that Hibbs in the first half of a lot of games um, sort of sit in or at least that's how it's perceived anyway and then the second half they maybe go for it and, and I thought there was something in that. I find that sort of Hibs play a lot in fits and starts um, and we are certainly probably at our most potent as a team uh, when we're counterattacking. but that isn't an always a really easy thing for Hibs to do because obviously they are one of the bigger clubs um, and on paper a lot of people would think that they have one of the, the better teams in the league so that isn't always an easy thing to do is to sort of bring a team on to you but I was trying to think is I was going to ask sort of you guys in general, like your opinion on Jack Ross being a, a a cautious manager. I mean, Gary, do do you do you buy into that in general? It's
0: difficult because I think that Hibs are in that strange sort of I don't know what word you'd use interregnum between being a a club that's happy to make top six and a club that is now looking to push and get into that sort of Aberdeen Motherwell. Uh, sort of European sphere and I suppose part of that is then that there's changing expectations among the support about what happens in games so for example with the the game against Celtic it might not have been that long ago that Hibs fans would think you know it's more appropriate if that's the right words, and that's maybe partly because of what's happened to Celtic lately uh, it might be more appropriate for Hibs to you know play quite cautiously and you know not push for it for now they would think, you know, we should be able to to go towards. to toe with Celtic. We should be able to to push them for that. And that's what Hibs ended up doing. So I don't know if it's maybe not so much a comment on Jack Ross, but maybe just sort of the evolving attitude of Hibs fans about what they are expecting their team to do week in, week out, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah, can I, that was going to be my question, actually, to you, Tony. Because I think that's the thing. Hibs have, on paper, I would say Hibs are probably one of the most exciting teams in terms of the the attacking players that they've got and they look like they should have a kind of decent balance to their team do you think he, um he's getting the best out of of that lot? or or do you think that there that is the him being kind of cautious is having an impact and stopping you from from seeing this team at their best
1: yeah, because I mean, I, as I said earlier, it, it sort of fits and starts. I think the Motherwell game is a really good game to use, and it's sort of like as I said, that sparked the conversation that I was having with other people about it. I mean, first half Hibs were dreadful, um, and uh, I, I wasn't really sure if it was if it was Hibs were being cautious, and they just really weren't even keeping the ball. Uh, Motherwell were getting a lot of joy down the flanks, and uh, and that was coming to think is this is this a deliberate thing? Or are we just sitting in? And then obviously second half. sort of roared into life and it was sort of that this is the thing that might frustrate and exactly what you're talking about about getting the best hibs only had to really turn it on for about 10 minutes at the start of the second half where um of the fullback started pushing on further uh boyle was seeing a lot more of the ball Uh, even halberg was moving for sort of that more sitting role and he was sort of going beyond um the hibs attackers to, to give options the the pace of the game it, it moved up and the intensity of hibbs attacking well and instantly i mean Boyle's had a shot that's been incredibly really well saved off of the goalkeeper from a again cross and then the goal comes and it just seemed that like that's when you start thinking like god it's just that simple that quickly um hibbs are able to just make motherwell look so ordinary and look so so dangerous and that's where the first the frustration comes because I think there's no doubt that Hibs can do that to teams. We've done it uh, many times this season, including as was mentioned earlier against Celtic and sort of that second half after sitting in more in the first half. But I was, and then that sort of came me sort of thinking more deeply about Jack Ross in general. It's like I it, have seeing his career, um, it's sort of really mirroring Derek McInnes. Uh, and, I, and I said this when we first came in, I think Hibs were maybe hopeful that Jack Ross could become that type of manager at Hibs because he obviously had a, a good time coming up through the lower leagues managing Jack Ross, then he got um, a shot at going down south where there was, sort of now looking back, it sort of looks semi-successful what, what he'd done at Sunderland, but obviously at the time uh, it wasn't really quite good enough and that sort of maybe put a black mark on him in terms of the bigger jobs that he could have uh, acquired down south. And then he ends up coming back here, which is very similar to Derek McInnes. And then, again, I was starting to see the, the the sort of mirror image of Derek McInnes in terms of his team, where he sort of has a stronger team than most, but um, seems a bit defence cautious first, and then sort of bursting into life for periods and win games. And Hibs have won a lot of games 1-0. I mean, they're third in the league at the moment, so you can't really argue with that. And the defensive side is, is improved immeasurably with, with Jack Ross in charge and then i was trying to think that maybe maybe because of covid and i know that all of all the teams suffer from this i get the feeling that there was going to be more planned more players i think ron gordon this would be like his uh, first summer transfer window i think there would be more ideas to sign a lot of player a lot more players and give him a deeper squad and maybe he worries with the lack of pre-season and uh the sort of threadbare nature of his squad just like everyone else's that he doesn't really want to play in full 90 minutes the expansive football that we see he maybe worries about that bringing on a lot more injuries and fatigue later on in the season and maybe he's thinking that he has the match winners to win games even when he plays cautiously Hibs have the ability to push forward and win games even if they only play for so in half an hour or 15 minute stages in matches and as long as he's up in the high in the league and he and he gains European football, he will get another go at it in the summer. And Ron Gordon's already alluded to a doubling Hibbs sort of wage budget uh, next summer where he's gonna be so that's the idea that Hibbs will be making a lot of sign-ins. But uh, so I'm think next season it'll be really interesting to see if Jack Ross pushes on to sort of having a much more discernible style that that um that and, and the sort of attack and flair, which uh, I know Hibs, Hibs probably gets slagged off about the Hibs way and all that but it's it's something that the fans feel even if others sort of laugh at it so it does matter in terms of I think style does matter to the Hibs fans uh, and it'll be interesting to see if he goes on and do, can, goes for that or if we see the sort of similarities with McInnes going even further where he continues sort of this cautious style and not lose first and he will think that in Scottish football terms that will get him enough points to at the top and he's also got this mirror image of McInnes that he's beginning to build some sort of a reputation of maybe not doing so well in the big games and Hibs defeating all the teams that they're meant to beat which hasn't always been the case at Hibs so I'll give him credit for that but I just think that Jack Ross in general uh, there's a lot he's going to be an interesting one to look at and I still despite being third in the league and Hibs probably without looking at actual stats and points uh, I get the feeling they're having one of the strongest starts to their season is in my lifetime. And I still don't know for sure if he has the absolute trust of the fans, like I like many other people would, would assume and expect. Uh, and as I said, it'll be really interesting going into next season to see once he gets more of his team on the park, if that style uh, and a more attacking sort of constant will become apparent with Jack Ross. Um Let's go back to Gary. What else you got for us, mate?
0: Well, the other thing I wanted to do was talk a little bit about Paratic Thistle, um, who I feel... I feel like this is one of the the stories that has gone relatively under the radar um, this season, which is obviously, you know, Paratic Thistle are a pretty big team to be in the third tier. Uh, I don't need to tell Andy that it's not unusual at the moment for uh, pretty big teams to be in the third tier, but... I don't think we've really discussed Thistle too much uh, on the show. I think there's uh, there's been a little bit of chat about Falkirk and Cove and obviously uh, Eirdrie with uh, Tam Rab uh, leading the way for them as well. But uh, I felt like we, we probably owed it to Thistle uh, to speak about them a little bit. So uh, first of all, I obviously have to thank uh, fans of the show, uh, Mark Wallace and Eric Geddes and uh, Callum Bell for providing me with uh, some notes on what they think is going on down Fair Hill Way. At the moment um, So it's I don't know where you want me to begin um, Do you maybe want me to begin with the, the Sort of the highlights If that's the right phrase to use
1: Why the hell not Gary go for it
0: Why the H not Well I think one of the <laughs> I say highlights and I'm immediately about to start about injuries um, But they've Been absolutely wrecked with injuries This season but that has helped Uncover a gem who I actually Spoke about a few weeks ago um, Which is Senna uh is his nickname, but uh, Mohamed Niang uh, is is his full name. Uh, it's not Sena Niang, apparently, as, as some people have taken to call him. But anyway, um, he uh, for those of you who didn't listen to the show a couple of weeks ago, um, he is a uh, or was a asylum seeker from Senegal who moved to Scotland uh, as a kid and uh, had to wait for the Home Office to to give him clearance before he could actually play professional football, which he's now doing. For Thistle I think his contract does run out at the end of the season and I think the fear that some Thistle fans have is that there's now been quite a lot of attention uh, being given to him. The 2.1 had an article um, listing the various ways in which statistically he is, um, you know, really coming on leaps and bounds and part of that is because of the injuries that I mentioned uh, if you just have a quick look at some of the the players I've had out Tam Aware uh, has been out injured for quite some time, Reese Breen has been out injured for quite some time so that's two players they would usually have at the back um, now uh, Niang was used by Montrose last season as a sort of defensive mid but he was moved back out of necessity more than anything else by Ian McCall and he's been an absolute revelation for them there so that's one positive for them, as I said a little bit earlier, they probably want to get him signed up to a contract sooner rather than later because he's now featured on two terrace podcasts. So he's bound to be getting picked up by somebody. Um But I think the nobody,
1: nobody calls me. <laughs>
0: so, someone will call you, trust me. Um, but I mean the the thing for Thistle is that they have been even with those injuries. I mean, some of the other players have had out. Um, Zach Ruddon's been out, uh, Jamie Snedden has been out, Blair spittle has been out as well, Salim uh, Kouda um has also been out injured. Uh, it was so bad that at one point they could only uh, field four subs including a goalie uh, in the last couple of weeks so uh, they really have been down to bare bones and that has meant that they have lost a little bit of ground in the title race. So at the moment they are, after seven games, they are six uh, points behind the league leaders and depending on who you speak to um, they might argue that it feels as if this will have dropped 11 points already um, which is uh, maybe slightly generous but um, but obviously already been 6 points behind Falkirk um, still a couple of points behind Cove as well, isn't great uh, particularly in a curtailed season um, but uh, with a couple of players coming back and with Forfer at the weekend I think the hope is that they might be able to kick on um, Pretty soon as well. Um, I mean, other things. Um, I mean, I might hand over to Andy at this point because I think this will have been relying quite a lot on Joe Cardle.
2: Um, yeah. Is that something well, you can really do? Yes. Uh, well, I mean, I, I think we're going to hand over to me because uh, Mark also sent me some <laughs> some notes. So I've probably got much <laughs> the same, <laughs> much the same talking points. But but yeah, I mean, I think uh, yeah, Mark, Mark did mention that about the, the fact they don't have a lot of a depth out wide. Uh, Blair Lions hasn't been playing particularly well, and it's it's meant that. Joe Cardo's had to to do a lot of it himself and he's you know, Joe Cardo's uh, in his mid thirties now, so he's that that's quite a lot to ask of of somebody towards the end of their, their career, especially a winger at the end of their career. Uh, I mean I think the one of the issues is is just the lack of creativity. I mean they they uh haven't lost a goal in the last four games, but they've uh drawn nil they drew nil with Dunbarner at the weekend. They would have won it if not for Brian Graham missing an open goal after his after his penalty he was saved. But Dronan with the Barton lost one at to Cove and lost one 0 to Clyde at the start of the season. Uh, Graham's got four goals, but I don't think anyone else has got more than one. Uh, and it it does mean that they it, it does put a lot of pressure on them. Um, and it's difficult. That league is difficult. And uh, we saw when Wraith. Uh, did alright it was when they had Nisbet and somebody who could reliably bang in thirty goals. You know, you've seen it with like Moffitt and Stuff here in the past or, or Shankland. That having somebody who you can rely on to score twenty five, thirty goals makes such a big difference in the league because it's it's a league with not a lot of great defences, but not that many really terrible teams. So um you can you can feel like you're you're dominating and creating lots of chances, but you do kind of need somebody half decent to, to put the, the ball in the back of the net. And well Graham's fine uh and you know, four goals is an okay start to the season. Uh that that has been something that they're lacking. Um in fairness it's probably something Falkirk have, have lacked as well. But I think Falkirk this season might benefit from the fact that they have had that extra year uh in the league they know a wee bit, I know certainly Raith, I think, had that with them. I mean, they were obviously, we were obviously down for a while, but uh, towards the end of us going up, that the, um, we looked at a far better condition than uh, at the end of it than we did uh, when we first went down. And it is a bit of a panic. That first year that you're, you're out of the top two leagues, it just seems slightly terrifying uh, being out of it. So there is maybe a wee bit of panic about needing to get up as well, which doesn't always help. Um, um,
0: I think, the interesting thing about Brian Graham is that he's uh, he is actually also manager of uh, part of Thistle Women's Team, um, Joel's uh, Mortal Enemies now, it seems. Um, but I think he's been playing through a wee bit of injury at the moment, and that just shows the, the position that Thistle are in. But I mean, as, as you've said, Andy, if you have a look at their squad, it's a lot of names that, you know, followers of lower league Scottish football would realise and it does look like a, a decent enough squad but I think they've just had horrendous uh horrendous luck with injuries you know if you've I think Zach Ruddon's back now um or he's just backing up and running um so you know having him and if Kuda Arisa comes back then that at least gives them more options up top um obviously Blair Spittle, um has you know had a decent enough career to date but uh injuries held him back a little bit um I mean, at the back, they've they've got Ricky Foster, uh, who we all know and love, Ryan Williamson, who I thought was all right for Dunfermline, um, but has uh, dropped down to League One with Thistle. So I, I hesitate to say that they can be optimistic, but I think that there's signs that they might be able to pull something together and, you know, uh, keep pace at the very least with Falkirk and Cove. Would you,
1: Gary? Would you say? See- if you're a championship team, this would possibly be the worst season to finish ninth with the playoffs. Absolutely,
0: and but that's partly because of who you look at and think might finish ninth. Um, because in in the championship, um, you know people would probably say it's Queen of the South, Aloha, and Arbroath are the three teams that people are probably looking at. Uh, maybe with Morton as a real outside bet for uh, potentially finishing you know ninth or 10th and the problem is that you know you're going to be playing one most likely out of Cove, Falkirk, Thistle and Airdrie and they all look like very very good teams Um, as in you know it, it, I can't see whoever comes through the League 1 playoffs being like Brechin for example Um, so and even then uh, a fairly you know pedestrian Brechin team was able to uh, take on the, the mighty Wraith Rovers and, and put them down so um, I mean Andy might have a, a view on this as well but I, I've not really been overly impressed with any of the, the clubs in the lower reaches of the Championship that I've seen and I include Dundee in that
1: Well you mentioned Wraith Rovers Gary so why don't we get our chief in my opinion Wraith Rovers correspondent of the Ten <laughs> Scottish Football Podcast Andy Harrell to talk us through some of the, some of the highlights and things that are going on there at the moment
2: the, the best one living in the the West Coast. Um, yeah, I'll try. I, I realise we're maybe running over a wee bit, so I'll I'll, I'll be brief. But I've it's been nice this season because I uh, have a wee winner. Uh, I didn't uh, kind of get into games last season it was a bit of a challenge. So in, in a way, I've actually quite enjoyed the the fact that I, I've been able to watch games at all. So I managed to catch most of the, most of the games this season so far. Um, and it's been It has been really positive. I came away from the we obviously drew 2-2 with them at the weekend but it's still quite. I know we were good last season but it's still quite a strange feeling coming away sort of quite positive from a game of football it, it doesn't <laughs> happen very often in my lifetime And uh, but they're, they're probably the best Rovers team to watch that we've had for maybe the Calderon era and then before that the mid-90s um, they uh, are just a they're, they're so much more confident in the ball than than any of those teams over the last sort of ten, fifteen years. They, um you know we've talked a lot about Regan Henry in the past. the Rovers have signed up Dylan Tate in a long term deal, and he's been excellent in the season. Um, Ross Matthews has come on again. Uh, he kind of he was one of those players who kind of looked like he was always a kind of solid six or seven, but. He's um he's probably improved again this season. Uh, Daniel Armstrong, Brad Spencer. We've got we've got a number of players that were there last season that have, you know, stepped up comfortably this year. Um and that we've we've brought a, a bunch of players in who have who have been good. Um we brought in Regan Tumulty from Morton, who's been solid. Uh, we lost Michael Miller to Ayr and I think he's been a decent uh, addition. Um, Jamie McDonald, you know everyone knows about Jamie McDonald. He's been absolutely fine. We we filtered through goalkeepers last year because none of them were that impressive, um, but McDonald's come in and, and been solid. Um, we've had. Uh, Charlie Masonda, who is only 22, actually I thought he was a bit older than that, but he's come in. He was playing right back for us initially when he came in, uh, and he's now playing centre half because Ian Davidson's out, and he's been pretty solid at the back. And then also, uh, I think he's got three goals. So he's, he's looked a bit of a threat from set pieces, and then uh, Manny Duku, who's got eight goals in all competitions. And it's a wee bit of an enigma, but he's uh, I like him. I think he's he's quite a fun player to watch. But there are a few that have not been quite so great. Ethan Ross. Uh, He's quite good against to, to Fairland, but it's looked a wee bit more average. And Lars Lockhart from Livvy, who is just a big dumpling um, <laughs> with a huge jaw. But um, it's just, who knows what happened the rest of the season. Um, we tend to get killed by injuries. Uh, so we're looking at it probably around about Christmas time onwards. We'll probably end up getting done for that. And our, our squad is fairly thin, but... It's quite promising. I'm not, you know, at, at this point in the season, I'm still thinking. Well, we'd be happy to to stay up and comfortably stay up. That would be that would be an achievement in this season, and it would be. But given how well we've done initially, you, you do, and and the league isn't, you know, Gary, you've probably agreed. The league isn't especially strong. No. So, at, at the moment, you look at it and think, yeah, there is a chance that we could actually get in there. Getting the playoffs this year. Um I think I don't think anyone's thinking about the title or anything, but um but yeah, I think we we equipped ourselves. Dunfermline will be the, the team probably challenging hearts the closest and we were the better team for all but about five minutes of that game where we, we switched off and Dunfermline scored two very good goals but we kinda of disappointing defending. Um so, yeah, I think it well. So, yeah, as I said, it's been nice this week. Uh, in fact, it's been nice most weeks. The only, the only disappointing game, really, has been the Inverness one, but we pretty much always lose our way to Inverness. So, uh, it's been nice most weeks being able to watch it and then turning the the stream off and thinking, oh, yeah, that was actually pretty good, uh, as I say, because it, it happens almost never uh, watching the Rovers.
1: Well, I'm glad you're excited, Andy, and I think there's a lot to be excited about. Again, like, going, looking at it, from the playoff perspective, I think there's there could be room for a championship team to get, to get up due to the, the sort of this could be the the bonus of the shorter season, um because when it comes to the playoff time, like normally it's like if you're in the especially if you're in the semi final and you've got to get through for the quarterfinal sorry and at the semi into the final, um you, you, it looks like teams can get tired, but I would assume this season with there being less. Of less matches, that there could be a championship teams who are sort of peaking around the time um, they will be playing a sort of premiership outfits. So you never bloody know, Andy. Yeah, if you can yeah. hang around like a bad smell, uh, you just never know what could happen. Because um, talking about the fact that there's sort of weak, weak leagues, I would argue that the the premiership, especially the bottom half, is 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 pretty weak as well. And I could see yeah. on given days. Teams could be could be beaten by quite a lot of Championship teams, I would guess, mm. especially in the top half. I
2: would say so. Yep.
1: Yeah. Right. Lastly, I'm going to very quickly do this before we move on to the Scotland game. I don't want to talk too much because this is all basically stolen from Graham. Um, uh, just off the back of, as I said, as I mentioned Hibbs uh, and Jack Ross. Well, this is sort of like looking at from from Motherwell's point of view. Um, the Graham's basically sent an email out to a lot of us about it was quite uh he was quite scathing of of Motherwell. Um, if I'm being honest, and, like it opened with broadly. Long and short, we are an absolute shambles. So I mean, you can't really be cleaner than that in terms of what you what you think. And then there's bits that he was just. Obviously, I watch a lot of football. I watch a lot of Motherwell, but I just hadn't realised that like, we were getting to the stage where, like, I know we've had uh, a pandemic and there wasn't football for a while, but for for Motherwell to have gone a, a calendar year and only won four home games just seemed like it just seemed untrue. But uh, I have to take sort of Graham's word for it. They they haven't looked convincing really at, at any point this season, even in the game where they won three um, 0 against Aberdeen there was a huge amount of that uh, was down to sort of being shot in the foot Motherwell sort of doing it to themselves and when you look over their um, sort of results over the season it really starts to hit home I mean they've been defeated by Ross County, Dundee United, uh, Hamilton have beat them in a derby I mean they really struggled uh, against Coleraine when when the the 2-2 draw there uh, they've sort of drew with St Johnston with an absolutely hopeless uh, performance and they got a little bit of chinky light when they beat uh, Ross County 4-0 and then Livingston away 2-0 I was sort of we were all raving about Tony Watt and that was sort of but then it sort of seems to have died down almost instantly and Celtic beat them 4-1 and that started looking more and more not like a given as as a result Uh, and now St Johnston and then and then Hibbs have turned them over. And they're in a bit of a false position because now when you look over that and, and you sort of read Graham's notes, you start to realise that you really would have strong doubts about Motherwell winning those those two games that they've been that they've been handied on a plate. And now they're in fifth and sort of yeah, they're eight points behind Hibbs, but they're sort of looking at sort of European spots. But with Graham he, he made some great points. It's just like the the recruitment's been awful. They've brought in Lamy uh, white and Hasty. I mean, Hasty's not done done anything off the bench. White, he's good. He's back to go, but he's so slow it doesn't work. Uh, and lamy has been especially sort of poor for for what people expected and f- of him being sort of like a seasoned performer in in the league, if you like. And then that decision of of letting Richard take go is starting to look worse and worse. They. Um, they have had their injury problems. Like, like most teams, obviously Carroll's still recovering from last season. Donnelly was was a big miss and uh, Campbell's been dropping out because of the COVID recently and obviously I, we're watching the game closely. They really, really missed him, but they have Robbie Crawford in there and, and, and Mark O'Hara. So they, you would like to think they'd be able to cope with even a player of Campbell's quality dropping out the team. Uh, and so sort of like the best signing they've had seems to be Sort of Devante Cole coming in, and was really what we're watching. Motherwell, the, the 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 games that I discussed earlier when they were playing with Tony Watt scoring the goals against uh, Livingston and against Ross County. Obviously, Cole was—he's so good, he's so strong and quick, and it just. But they've bought so many strikers, they've had so many goals at this under Robinson and uh, outside of Cole, they never seem to get it right. I mean, is, is there anything you guys wanted to add to? To that, do you, do you, how long do you think Steven Robinson gets uh, with it going quite this badly when you start to really drill into the detail? I think
0: the thing is that for, I mean, well, Motherwell obviously haven't been relegated in about thirty years, uh, if not more than that. So, for Motherwell, I'm not saying that just set up a success because that would be ludicrous, because that would, uh, you know, suggest a, an incredibly long lucky streak. So it's definitely not that. But you know, there there are plenty of clubs that have got weaker squads with less progression within them, I would say, than Motherwell, so I I don't think that um, We can put it this way, I think Tony, it might have been you, I was chatting to about uh, Gary Holt uh, a few weeks back, and it was about three days before he resigned, and I said, I don't get why people are saying he's in trouble, Uh, and then he stepped down so this is maybe the harbinger of doom me saying that Stephen Robinson's fine, maybe he'll be gone by the weekend, Um, but I I I wouldn't buy that. There's too much. I think there's some low-level grumbling, but I, I don't think you can. It could really be quantified as a as a crisis as such at the moment.
1: Um, yeah, I, I can see where you're coming from. Just look, it's like they've got, they, they they signed up a lot of players, and they've got like a glut of centre halves. They've got wingers. They, they seem to go through lots of strikers, and it just seems to be quite haphazard. Um, and maybe it's one of those that Robinson might. Uh, be a real beneficiary, a beneficiary of there being no fans in the ground uh, to sort of because i said, if I'm going by sort of Graham, it, it's it's sort of the 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 spokesperson for for all of Motherwell fans. He he's obviously not too happy. Although he did say to me, he still doesn't think they're too far away because they do they do have sort of good players, and you do get the feeling they will sort of be able to put results together again. But it mean, just is frustrating because we named some of the players. They've got so many good players. And they, 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 simil- they just don't seem to be... And like, they, they've they got a big squad and when certain players are out, they really don't seem to be able to get it right. And then they've got a guy like Long there who he just he doesn't look interested whatsoever to be there. And it just... It, they're just giving off a bad smell, is what I'm saying, Motherwell. <laughs> and we need to... And, and it's and it's a team to keep an eye on. And I thought it was interesting because when I was talking about Jack Ross earlier, the, the sort of performance in the first half, Um, Something I didn't mention when I was talking about Ross is he did um, say that he actually went through the Hibs team at halftime, which maybe, uh, and then we got the sort of really good performance in the second half, which maybe lends itself to thinking that Ross does want the second half performance to be sort of something that we do over the 90 minutes and, and him sort of coming out and vocally saying that straight away um could could sort of allude to that but with Motherwell, he, he was robinson was focusing on the the decision in the first half which don't get me wrong was a bad decision as you'll see this season for the the disallowed goal but they were pretty shoddy in the second half Motherwell and hibbs really just rolled over the top of them and he didn't seem overly angry about that so i mean it'll be interesting to see there is still room to go but um as I said, maybe due to there being no fans in the ground, Robinson might be able to sort of piece this back together and come on with sort of his fourth or fifth sort of style of play or whatever that we've seen at Motherwell over the last few years. We might get sexy Motherwell back. Who the hell knows? Or we might get the battering rams back up front, depending on who he gets. We get someone like Mote back, but who knows? But it's time to move on because we've definitely went over over time on that, which may be five minutes each. And just as always, because I'm here and hosting, that didn't happen. So let's go to Scotland number 26 on the top 50 most memorable Scotland games is uh let's go into it's a 6-0 defeat to a much better team so I don't really see it's, how this is so memorable.
0: We have discussed it before Tony things things that are bad can be memorable too.
1: Yeah, but it's just like a much better team um on their own patch in a big qualifying game. I mean, at the time, I don't remember. Even though we won the first game, and and like I, said, I don't want to go into that too much because that first game in this playoff series against Holland is is also on uh, this memorable list. But we won, I did. I don't remember going to Holland and thinking we've got much of a of a hope here under I, Bertie I, votes.
2: I th- no, I think I think the memorable thing about this because I, I do think it's memorable. I don't I don't think the The game itself is memorable. I don't think there's any particular moments from it that are especially especially memorable maybe outside of Schneider's first goal or Schneider's goal. But I think the, the memorable thing about this is how bad the beating was, especially given what the first leg was like. I think if... If it had been one where Scotland had maybe been lucky to get a draw, or they'd lost, you know, one nil or two one or something at home, then I don't think people would remember the six nil defeat to Holland all that much. But because we won one nil and because we were very good in that first leg, I think the I think it was hard not to get your hopes up slightly. Uh, you know the. Holland were in a bit of disarray at the time. I mean, their, their team was ridiculous; like they had so many good players. But, but the um, their, their team wasn't a bit of disarray. Advocat was under pressure. Holland have bottled things before, um, and I think yeah. there was a thought that, uh well, m- maybe maybe we can ride this out. And maybe we can hold on for a 0-0 and do kind of a Celtic in Barcelona, or maybe we can we can nick a goal. So I think I think it wasn't just the fact that the we lost because I think. we probably expected that but it was the fact that our hopes were pretty much crushed within the first 20 25 minutes of this game I think was the was the thing that that I remember being the the, the main thing about it. Before I, we
1: before we go in sorry Gary before we go any further obviously I'm gonna just uh, do do our usuals for this so as I say that is number twenty six, it's Holland six Scotland nil in this in the second leg of the Euro two thousand and four playoff and it was played on Wednesday, the nineteenth of November two thousand and three. At that point we had the number one in the UK was Baby Boy, by, uh, Sean Paul, and Beyonce, um, which uh, I think was a good song. Uh, if, if you if you you must know, um, with sort of Beyoncé writhing about in the on the beach and sort of Sean Paul saying those made up words that that he does, um, <laughs> but I I I thought it was a good song, certified quality and all that. I remember seeing it on MTV Awards with him coming up and sort of like a a fo- coming up for the ground, uh, underground on the stage in a full sort of hash plant suit with a sort of hash plant sort of cane. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and then he doing all that And I think I was a daft young lad at that time I probably thought that was bloody cool uh, But it wasn't uh, Looking back <laughs> uh, When when I watched it And there's a reason why we don't really see from Sean Paul anymore uh, And number one movie at the time Was uh, The Matrix Revolution Which I've oh. not seen I don't know if any of you guys
2: mm. have I is think that, I is have that. The that. first one, the second, or the third one—I can't remember. Third one is
0: it not? I think second's reloaded.
2: Oh, yeah. oh yes, yeah. No, third, third one's really disappointing. I remember. Yeah. I I love the Matrix, and I remember being pretty disappointed with the third one. Have you seen? Have you seen it, Gary?
0: I have. I I love the first one, but again, it's it, they shouldn't have brought it back. They should have just let it stand on its own. There's a fourth um,
1: one. There's a fourth one coming out soon, isn't there?
2: It is, and it's going to streaming in America now rather than uh, rather than cinemas. But yeah, that's a different that's a different that's, podcast.
1: That could, yeah, <laughs> and it could be one we definitely talk about at some point, actually. Uh, but maybe this is a, the ample sort of movie for for when this game was out. So it was like the first leg was sort of just put put in front of us uh, to keep us keep us keep, keep us down, uh, not let us see the real world. And then that facade was ripped away from us in the second leg in Holland, and we saw the reality of that dutch team uh sort of dismantling us There, the scotland team for that day was rab douglas jackie McNamara, hey. Stephen presley lee wilkie hey. gary naismith <laughs> Steve, uh, darren fletcher uh, barry ferguson neil mccann gavin ray james hey. mcfadden and paul Dickoff. <laughs> with uh, <laughs> uh crawford getting on and also kenny miller and morris ross coming on at half time um Right, yeah. So, so I mean, Andy, you were talking us through a bit of that. Do you want to go back to sort of any other memories of, of the game yeah. or the qualifying campaign and the lead up to it? Uh,
2: so I mean, the uh, again with with Scotland, it was one of those ones where folks. It, well, Scotland weren't very impressive, I don't think, in the in the qualifying campaign. But we squeaked through into the playoffs, didn't we? Was it was it Dan Fletcher got the got the goal that goes into the playoffs? Yeah, it was against Macedonia, yeah. right? in yeah. saying that, it yeah. was against Lithuania. Lithuania, them, sorry. All, um, it, all of it here. Yeah, I think we were.
1: It was not too bad. We sort of we we taught, We we got through by, yeah. Point. It was actually really tight. Lithuania could have still qualified by by that point. So yeah, you're right. It was a it was a like really tight group between Germany, Scotland, Iceland, Lithuania, and the Faroe
2: Islands. Mm. Which wasn't a very good group at the time. I mean, Iceland are obviously good now, but I mean that wasn't a. Apart from Germany, <laughs> An especially strong group, but the uh, so so we but we got into the playoffs and then yeah we'll we'll talk about the the one 0 game later on. But I I mean I think the the thing with the, the the first game that was different or was important from the first game that was missing from the the second again. And, and I remember this at the time actually about Christian Daly missing because Christian Daly was outstanding in that first game uh, in the centre of midfield and. I remember it. I actually do remember at the time, the the chat being about the fact that he, I think he kicked the ball away in the first leg, which meant he was suspended for the the second leg. And they they brought Gavin Ray in, and Gavin Ray is just, you know, Christian Daly Fair wasn't. A, <laughs> <laughs> Christian Daly wasn't a, a an absolutely brilliant player, but he he could be. You know, top class. He played in the Premier League, and and he showed in some of some of the big games for Scotland that how good he could be against uh, against excellent opposition. And and we we totally missed him in the middle of the park. Although, uh, arguably, we missed somebody who could head the ball uh, better. Or, or you know punch the ball away better than the, uh, the rest of the game. <laughs> that's <laughs> in quite, quite a lot there. <laughs> yeah, but, but it, it was the, the thing that I remember about it, the really only thing about the game I remember about it was that Schneider goal, the first one. Uh, given that we it was really important for Scotland to keep things tight as long as possible, which is a cliche, but it's also true, given we, we weren't likely to score in Holland, uh, certainly not more than one, was that the... Uh, it's, I think Snyder put the ball up and it sort of turned, did this lovely um, trick that uh, totally away, bamboozled, yeah, yeah away, bamboozled McCann, and then just ran towards goal, totally unimpeded. Nobody came out to stop him, and then he uh, he kind of flashed the ball past uh, Douglas with thirty minutes gone, and it was kind of over at that point. Uh, I, I got mean, really,
1: it, I got really pissed off yeah. when I was what, like when I rewatched that there because it's like they've got Vanes Van Nistelrooy who's maybe trying to stretch the game a bit uh, and maybe looking for a pass, but we've got three, there's three guys central there and one player to pick up and not one of them. And you see I'm stopping um, thinking that he's probably about to be engaged to be like, and then he realizes he's got another chance to take an art touch. And it's sort of like a guy who was sort of world renowned for hitting shots outside the box. Uh, It was really quite a frustrating goal to lose at that point, even though, as you say, it it was a really good finish.
0: for me, the the thing that jumps out probably, as you can tell from the uh, from my uh, selective cheering when you were going through the team Tony, is the this is about the only game I can think of that I've ever seen where there's been a real Dundee influence on the Scotland team, uh, and I realise it's a six 0 thumping, so that's probably not a good thing. <laughs> yeah. But but watching it at the time, obviously having two Dundee players, obviously this was just after uh, we'd gone into administration, so having two Dundee players in the Scotland lineup uh, for uh, uh, for a playoff spot, uh, Rab Douglas hadn't long left us to go to Celtic as well. Um, obviously, Neil McCann came through at Dundee uh, as well. So there was uh, I remember before the game, I felt this weird sort of sense of pride, and I thought, "Oh, this this will be brilliant. Imagine if a couple of Dundee players lead us to this." But obviously, you know, Lee Wilkie had his. Uh, had the opportunity to to write himself into a wee bit of history by by getting a quick equaliser, I think it was, um, when we were 1-0 down, I think he had a chance uh, at the back post, but he just sort of mucked up. And that, I think, is uh, the performance writ large because everything just went totally to pop.
1: It was really, I got really frustrated about how many goals we conceded for set pieces. Mm-hmm. So it's like you look at that amazing team and the style of play, uh, and it's sort of like we had big guys at the back, um, and it was sort of like they were really sort of easy goals, the the sort of set piece goals with the with the headers, and it okay, just uh, it does with more more that I watched it, um, it was really quite frustrating. I don't know if you felt the same.
2: Yeah, I mean, given the given the guys that we had playing, you know, uh, Rad Douglas and uh, Stephen Presley and Lee Wilkie, you would think. Those are if nothing else, if they could do nothing else, they could head the ball. I mean, you've, you've got to give credit to Schneider. Uh, Schneider's free kicks in for the and I it right. meant to think he was only nineteen at the time. But, Is that um, right? All yeah, right, I have no idea. Yeah, I think this was his kind of introduction properly into the. I think this was his, the 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 moment that uh, he the kind of arrived on up. the scene. Really, yeah. yeah. Um, but. It, yeah, they were just... I mean, the, the the first one... I think it's the first one Rab Douglas gets absolutely... The second goal, but the first cross, Rab Douglas gets nowhere near it uh, when Uyghur scores. Um, and it's an almost identical free kick uh, for the third goal that Van Nistelrooy scored. But this time, rather than Rab Douglas, there was just... Uh, missing it, there was just nobody around Van Nistelrooy at all. Um, I think the only... The, um, the only really, really good goal uh, was the was the fourth goal, which was a really nice move between Van de Vaart and Van Nistelrooy, and there was a couple of other people involved, and it was all one touch passing. And you're thinking, right? I can understand Lee Wilkie getting completely flummoxed by <laughs> by good one touch passing, but I don't understand why he can't just like stand on a man and head the ball away. Um, uh, the 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 thing I enjoyed most was that, I can't remember who the who it was, but there was somebody for the fifth goal. Netherlands uh, scored from a corner but the lead up to it I don't know if you saw it it was, it was one of the Scotland midfielders it got completely bamboozled by Edgar Davids on the Dutch touchline so Scotland yeah. looked like they were in a good position and then Davids just did some sort of magic bit of skill uh, runs away from him and then sets up a sets up a counter attack. But uh, and they and move look, right uh, through
1: the team and so sort of yeah, over Mars yeah. pushes past them on the push past Morris Ross on the left hand side and it goes out for a corner. So they make their way from one touchline all the way up to the yeah. other.
2: And, and, and at that point, obviously, I think we were we were finished. I was reading. I don't know if did either of you read uh, Scott Murray's minute by minute on uh, the Guardian website. No.
0: No. But, oh, I think I did, um, and uh, because I hadn't. One of the things I'd totally forgotten about this game was how many yellow cards were picked up.
2: Uh, yeah, and, and the, the the Minute by Minute by uh, Scott Murray is, is quite entertaining because it starts off, you know, full of optimism and a bit of nervousness, but, um, you know, very quickly descends. And, you know, the, I think that he makes a comment about seven minutes in about how oh, Scotland are actually looking okay. But by about the 13th minute, uh, it's starting to look pretty grim for us and then, you know, increasingly it's just like, I think with the 65th minute he he wrote that Scotland had finally strung two passes together uh, and it, it didn't get much better from there so it was, it's a it's quite a fascinating look at it now. Actually, it's quite fun to fun to read now. It really, wasn't fun to fun to read at the time, but uh, yeah, it was just a. It was the fact that we were we were hammered so quickly as well. I think the last goal came after sixty six minutes. Yeah, <laughs> just had thirty five minutes of just nothing.
1: I was uh, I quite enjoyed the fact that simply the best was chosen as the the goal music. <laughs> Wondering if sort of Dick Advocate had uh, had a say in yeah, that. yeah, too. Yeah, and I also liked the. Uh, the absolute racket made when Stephen Presley tries to clear the shot, Van Nistelrooy's lob over Douglas out the goal. Uh, I thought he was going to pull the entire goal down. It makes sort of like, uh, you know, that normal satisfying sound when a ball hit the net, but it was like an absolute clatter and he was trying to rip it down. And I was like, I don't think this is for you, Stephen. Uh, Off you go. Um, I was going to talk a little bit quickly about uh, Edgar Davids. I thought it would be a remiss to not... Talk about him when uh, we've sort of got the opportunity, because obviously he's possibly the, obviously one of the most legendary, coolest sort of iconic players of, of sort of the nineties into the into the noughties. But I was more going to talk about his period as sort of Barnet uh, player manager. Uh, uh, I was so looking at pictures of it. Um, well, well, he was there. It sort of looked funny. He's like he, it's like even his glasses had got older. So when those goggles used to look really quite cool on him, by the time he was playing for Barnet, it just looked like he was wearing quite geeky specs almost <laughs> uh, uh, as as a player. And Obviously, he was getting a bit more wrinkly because he was sort of thirty nine. He hadn't really pl- he hadn't played in two years since a sort of terrible spell at Palace where he played six games, and then he turned up inexplicably at Barnet because. He they were local to where he lived because he was playing for a sort of junior team, really, amateur team in Brixton in London. And he'd noticed that Barnett were struggling and he wanted to do something about it. So he, he took on a, a, a job there, which it sounds more like he demanded a job there. And he was just giving it. And the manager, Mark Robson, there just had to accept it. And he was told that he was doing the job alongside him <laughs> as player manager. And it sort of started off with um getting a man of the match and a 4-0 against Northampton and they'd and they'd lost twelve games on the trot before that, so everyone was delighted. The sort of legend coming in and they sort of got loads of points and uh they, they didn't he, he did he done quite well, frankly, and they and they were not they were not far from staying up and then they mm. they went down uh to non-league and everyone expected him to leave, but he he stuck around and um, then the, the owner, the chairman, Tony Cletus was like, he started a football revolution here and we hope he can maintain the attractive style of play we developed under him in the Football League. as a measure of the man that he wants to finish the job he started. Once a B, always a B. And then those words sort of came back to haunt him as they go into the conference and everything just goes for bad to worse. He turns up uh, in the new season, makes himself number one. So he's got the shirt number one on the back. Every game he's changing his position, depending on where he fancies playing. So he's in defence one week, centre mid the next week. Then he's up playing at number 10. um, And he was refusing to go to certain parts of the country because it was too far away for away games. uh, And it all sort of just collapsed. And then he ended up getting sent off three times in five games where he thinks, I think I know for definite now that the league is targeting Barnett i don't know how many games we have played now but there is a weird decision making all the time it is ridiculous i don't think i'm going to play anymore and then he sort of left away i just thought it's like like just the most incredible end to to such a a maverick sort of cool player of the time and sort of synonymous with sort of 90s and Mm. and early noughties football is on you go
2: but no, I was going to say, but at least they had the memories of pumping Scotland in Amsterdam Arena back in 2003. You'll always have them. You can't take them away from them. Yeah,
1: absolutely not. <laughs> is there anything else you want to add on, on this game, guys? Uh,
2: nothing for me other than
0: to say, I, I don't think this is going to be the last game that is memorable for the wrong reasons on no. this list. But mm. no, I think it may
1: be right. So I need to get bloody used to it, is that what you're saying?
0: Damn straight. <laughs>
1: Right, well thanks very much guys. We are away over to do a quick Patreon where we're gonna be talking about fantasy football. Um so that might bring some people to our Patreon. I don't know about that. It's maybe a bit self-indulgent, but we want to do it and we're gonna tell you about we're gonna be comparing some of the fantasy football leagues in um In Scotland at the moment, and so our strategies that we are playing in in our in our sort of joint games, and maybe some of our likes and dislikes on the different ones. So come and join us on Patreon for that. But thank you very much, Gary Cocker. Thanking you, and Mr. Andy Harrow. Thank you very much. Thank you. But goodbye.
2: Sports Social Podcast Network.